0: How do you try to get somebody's attention? Have you ever been in that situation? Especially if it's the type of a situation where you're supposed to be quiet, you're supposed to be low-key. Sometimes, depending on the situation and the nature of things, though, these subtleties don't necessarily work. Sometimes you have to be quite vocal about it. This morning, the title of my message is The World is Asking, and to begin this morning, I want us to turn to Luke chapter 19, and we're going to look at a passage of Scripture, one that you have seen before, but there's an element of this that I just want to to look at here. We're going to begin in verse 37. Luke chapter 19, beginning verse 37, and there in your Bibles you will read, Now is he, Jesus, was drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with what kind of a voice? A loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, verse 38, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now you might recall from this picture and from reading this story before, that Jesus does something quite interesting. He sends for a donkey to come, and he mounts onto this animal, and he rides. Do we ever have any instance anywhere else in Scripture where Jesus is riding from one place to another? Do you recall? Is this typically the nature of how Jesus works throughout the Gospels? Or is it something a little bit different, a little unusual, You may recall when Peter's mother in law was healed, and there's the big commotion and and the big revival that takes place. But we see Jesus steal away early in the morning, and the disciples finally find him, and they say, The whole town is looking for you. And Jesus says, Yes, let's depart, let's go to Galilee. You may recall another time Jesus heals a leper, and he tells him, Shh, be quiet, don't tell anyone. But the leper leaves and tells everybody, far and wide. So Jesus has to leave that place, according to the account. Or you might recall, after feeding the 5,000, what did the crowd and the multitudes want to do then? Crown him king, and the disciples are saying, yes, this is what we've been waiting and hoping for. And Jesus compels them to get into the boat, sends them away, and he goes up onto the mountain to pray. Over and over and over, we see Jesus constantly on the move. And I think it's because he knew that his ministry otherwise could very well be cut short. He would be killed much sooner. Yet here, in these few passages, we see Jesus not only allowing, but doing things to somewhat orchestrate this, what we call, triumphal entry. Entry to draw attention to himself. And the question I want to ask is how come and why now? Desire of Ages says this, spectators were constantly mingling with the throng and asking who is this? What does all this commotion signify? They had all heard of Jesus, expected him to go to Jerusalem, but they knew that he had herefore discouraged all effort to place him on the throne. And they were greatly astonished to learn that this was, in fact, he. They wondered what could have wrought this change in him who had declared that his kingdom was not of this world. From the multitudes gathered to attend the Passover, thousands go forth to welcome Jesus. Do you get the picture? This is not a small crowd. We're talking lots, many, many people. And they greet him with the waving of palm branches and bursts of sacred song. Never before in his earthly life had Jesus, what? Permitted such a demonstration. He clearly foresaw the result. It would bring him to the cross, but it was his purpose thus Publicly to present himself as the Redeemer. He desired to call attention to the sacrifice that was to crown his mission to a fallen world. End quote. So here Jesus does something different. Here he does something out of the ordinary, something he has not done before to draw attention to his crowning work, his sacrifice on Calvary, for people to take notice. And so we continue on, verse 39 in our story. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. This is not allowable. What are you allowing them to do? This is too big of a commotion, too big of a stir. And they try and do everything in their power to hush the crowd. But the crowd ignores these Pharisees. And finally, they just yell out, Jesus, rebuke your disciples. Do something. This is not okay. But he answered, and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. This is too big. The stones would cry out. When a major thing is about to happen in prophecy, I think there's a time to speak with a loud voice, as it says earlier in this passage, verse 37. In fact, in Revelation 14, with a loud voice, megalophone, we have the three angels' messages, not to be whispered, not to pass notes, but to say and to proclaim with a loud voice. So I'm asking the question this morning, is it time to speak? To proclaim with a loud voice. Because it seems like God is doing things to push his message of his remnant church to the front, have you noticed that? Here's something that was relatively new to me. I don't subscribe to this magazine. But the Smithsonian Spring of this year has an article, The 100 Most Significant Americans of All Time. Kind of interesting, huh? Who made the cut of 100 of the most interesting Americans of all time? Are you curious? I was curious. Some of the ones here, we have Christopher Columbus, Abraham Lincoln, Helen Keller, Henry Ford. You see the list as it goes on there. Oprah Winfrey, Billy Graham, Michael Jordan, Bill Gates. Oh, what's the one at the bottom? Ellen White, really? In Smithsonian? Sure enough, two pages. Putting us at the forefront. Kind of surprising that Ellen White would make the cut, or is it? Who's this individual? You know, it's interesting how he talks about his decision to run, and you probably heard that as well. In fact, in one interview, this one's taken from Time, why Ben Carson is running for president. It certainly was not my intention to go into the political field, but after the prayer breakfast in 2013, there were so many people clamoring for me to do it, and I kind of ignored it and figured it would all go away, but it didn't, and it just kept building and building and building. Interesting. Interesting. In fact, as a result of him running, the Seventh Adventist Church set up just recently. It was launched October 29, not even quite a month ago. Adventist beliefs, and you can type in whoareaventists.com or .org. Who are Adventists? And the whole purpose of that is to set was to set it up so people could have a place to go to find out who are we. I mean, doesn't it sound kind of strange to to hear Donald Trump make these statements? I'm Presbyterian, I'm middle of the road. But Adventists, who are these Adventists? We don't know who they are. Does that not sound strange to anybody else? But all of these nations have looked up this website in just the last three weeks. Page views, 27,000. You can see down here in the bottom corner, it spiked at the end of October when it first came out. Another thing interesting is that most went directly to the site, but then the second and fourth one down here, Facebook was the next place that people saw it and went to whoareadventists.com. Again, is this something that we did? Interesting. Then you have this. Glenn Beck, on his show, interviewed Alexander Bryant. He's at the North American Division. He's the secretary there. And I listened to that interview about what do you as Seventh-day Adventists believe? Glenn Beck mentions, you know, the last political election, or race, there was everybody looking at Mormonism, wasn't it? And so they were thrust into the spotlight, and now it's the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And then there was this article. This one, perhaps, of all that I've seen so far, incorporates more of Adventism into one article than maybe any I've ever seen. It's called Inside Ben Carson's Religious Faith, from CNN Politics. And it's hard for me to capture the whole article there, but it does say up here, Ben Carson's presidential bid is putting Seventh-day Adventists in the spotlight. Have you seen that? Putting Seventh-day Adventists into the spotlight. And here you have Trump talking. Seventh-day Adventists, I don't know about them. What do we know about them? Well, we have a website for them. This article also mentions Ellen White and her prophetic gift. This article also mentions our general conference president and quotes him in a speech. It says the devil is attempting to neutralize God's church in what the church believes are the closing hours of earth's history. Stay away from anything that will undermine our message or cloud our distinctive beliefs. Don't be tempted by the devil to blend in with the crowd or be politically correct. And see, they tied into that because of the political correctness that Ben Carson talks about as well. It says, don't proclaim a generic Christianity or a cheap grace Christ, which does not point to the distinctive biblical truth to be declared worldwide, the very reason for which the Seventh-day Adventist Church was organized. So it's talking about Ben Carson, it's talking about Seventh-day Adventist Church, it's talking about Ellen White, it's talking about our General Conference President, Ted Wilson, I don't think we could have paid for that advertising, by the way. Then you have, but for Adventist, political ambivalence is built into the doctrine, it says later on in this, Church theology teaches that in the end days, the federal government will mandate Sunday church attendance, giving all who comply, and what's the next part? The mark of the beast. Now, how many of you know anything about evangelism? How many of you have been to an evangelistic crusade or series where on opening night, they talk about the mark of the beast? Anybody? Is that what we generally lead with? No. We talk about Christ and and how we get everything from the Bible and his love for humanity. We talk about salvation. We work our way through the Ten Commandments and we start talking about the Sabbath and some of these other things. Eventually, and maybe it was on the brochure, when are we going to talk about the Mark of the Beast? We're going to get there. We're going to be patient. Yet here we have it, right in this article. Kaboom! Did we do this? We didn't do this. Yet it's right out there in the forefront. Is it possible that God is allowing some of these things to happen because time is short? Because things are wrapping up and it's not business as usual. May it polarize people? It may, but when you get down to brass tacks right close to the end, sometimes you don't have time to go through all of that. I don't know, I'm just wondering. Christ's method alone will give true success in reaching the people. This is generally how we do things. The Savior mingled with men as one who desired their good. He's building rapport, building relationship. He showed his sympathy for them. He ministered to their needs, won their confidence, and then, and only then, he bade them, follow me. But here we have another quote in Great Controversy. It says, as the movement for Sunday enforcement becomes more bold and decided, the law will be invoked against commandment keepers. Show us from the word of God our error, is the response. And those who are arraigned before the courts make a strong vindication of the truth. And some who hear them are led to take their stand to keep all the commandments of God. Thus, and this is what I want to focus on, in light of Sunday laws, in light of the Ten Commandments, thus light will be brought before thousands who otherwise would have known nothing of these truths. Isn't that interesting in light of what we see happening? Adventism is coming to the forefront and people are asking questions they never would have asked before. You know, you go out and you witness and they ask you a very pointed question. Well, what church do you belong to? Or do you, you know, are you a member of a church? And you say, oh, I'm part of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Excuse me? The Seventh-day Adventist Church. We're a Christian church. We believe in all the Ten Commandments, so we go to church on Sabbath or Saturday or however you have to phrase it. Now you can just say, I go to Ben Carson's church. Oh, you're seventh. You're one of those Adventist people, hmm And how quickly did all this happen? Quickly. Well, I didn't even really want to run. People just kept pushing and pushing and they started donating money and more money and, and all of a sudden in the polls and where this is gonna go, I don't know. I'm not a prophet or the son of the prophet. But I do know that things are being pushed to the forefront and we live in very interesting times. Associated Press, Pope says, no work Sundays are good, not just for the faithful. This isn't new either. The Pope's been talking more and more about Sabbath rest, but Sabbath rest in terms of Sunday rest. And so that's not necessarily news. Then we have his encyclical that came out just this summer talking about how Sabbath rest, in context of Sunday again, is part of the solution and he says, their Sunday, like the Jewish Sabbath, is meant to be a day which heals our relationships with God, with ourselves, with others, and with the world. He points to the Ten Commandments. He points to Genesis. He does a fair job with the Bible study, but then just Sunday. Interesting. Then he says, the Pope encourages the people, notice that, encourages the people to bring healthy, what's the word? Pressure. pressure. This isn't bad pressure, this is healthy Pressure, healthy, to bear on those who wield political, economic, and social power. And so we have some of the key Protestant leaders going to learn how they can apply what? Healthy pressure. On some of these issues, you hear, see people here high-fiving. There's Rick Bourne and Joel Olstein and others. On the same day that that encyclical came out, which is kind of suspicious to me, kind of like on the exact same day that the Supreme Court ruled about gay marriage, the White House was lit up in colors. I don't think that happens with a memo from your desk within 15 minutes, but maybe so. But on the same day, the White House responds and says... I welcome His Holiness Pope Francis encyclical and deeply admire the Pope's decision to make the case clearly, powerfully, and with the full moral authority of his position for action on global climate change. And there's even some meetings going on in December to talk more about this global climate change and how they're gonna propose solutions and so on. And so here we have this connection But I think it's so interesting that the Pope says he is appealing to the people to apply healthy pressure. As America, the land of religious liberty shall unite with the papacy, enforcing the conscience and compelling men to honor the false Sabbath, the people of every country on the globe will be led to follow her example. We see this in scripture too, Revelation chapter 13. 11 to 14, then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. Now this can oftentimes take quite a bit of unpacking and if this is all new to you, please, let's get connected and let's unpack some of this. But we recognize this to be the second beast comes out of the earth, it's the United States, separation of church and state, all of those types of things. But then it says, and he exercised all the authority of the first beast, the Catholic Church, in his presence, And caused the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. And we've talked and had sermons about that healing process. It seems quite healed. Wasn't even that long ago the Pope didn't even get out much. He sat there and sang the song, Don't Get Around Much Anymore. But he sure does now. Main player in the whole Cuba Opening up type of a thing. So anyway, he performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast. Telling those, telling those, the masses, the people, the multitudes, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who is wounded by the sword and live. That's the Sunday law. That's the image, the likeness of something genuine telling those who dwell on the earth, hey, people, you're the one applying all this pressure. Why don't you do something? Why don't you make an image? Why don't you push for a Sunday law? Why don't you apply some healthy pressure? And sure enough, we know that will eventually take place. It will be declared that men are offending God by the violation of the Sunday Sabbath. That this sin has brought calamities which will not cease until Sunday observance shall be strictly enforced. The last calamity was your fault and your fault and your fault. Political corruption is destroying love of justice and regard for truth. And even in free America, rulers and legislators in order to secure public favor. There it is again. It's not from the top down. There's some influence there, but eventually it's from the bottom up in order to secure public favor, will yield to the popular demands for a law-enforcing Sunday observance. And like so many of these things, I don't see them as punctiliar necessarily, but there is a crescendo. Anybody here musical and understands what I mean when I say crescendo? I used to play timpani, and it was one of my favorite instruments to play with the orchestra. The Southern Orchestra was here. Same timpani I used to play. I told my kids, and they were so impressed. Someday they won't be impressed by things like that anymore. But with the timpani, oftentimes... It's almost like a symbol, and you set the note to the right pitch and when you want to make a big climax to something, you start really low and you grow. And sometimes they give you four beats to grow into full loud sound. Other times they want you to, to take six, eight, 12 measures to get there. Now that takes a little work to do that. But so many of these things are a crescendo, they start quiet, but they grow in intensity more and more and more and more and more. So first, the Sunday law may just simply be a suggestion. Then it might come with some perks along the way. Then it might come with a few pinpricks and eventually some teeth. Do you see the crescendo? But do you see some of these things building? Oh, well, it's not here yet. Well, maybe not. But do you hear that timpani rumbling? Ready to go? Then we have this ISIS-Paris attack. I was talking to a young person just this week about some of these things. And even in our own home, Matthew likes to say, if Jesus is coming soon, why is it taking such a long time? He's six. You've thought that, haven't you? Why is it taking such a long time? Now, friends, I'm trying my best to walk a somewhat middle-of-the-road approach here, because I understand, I get this idea that if we yell wolf, wolf, wolf so many times, eventually the wolf comes and nobody runs, right? But then the other danger is if we just continue to ignore, oh, it's a small leak in the dike, it's not going to overflow its bounds, I'm not going to wake up the town or whatever illustration you want to use, eventually it's too late. And so I'm trying to walk the middle of the road. Is the Lord going to come tomorrow? I don't think so. Is he going to come by spring of next year? I'm not saying that either. If the Lord chooses, it could be 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, 100 years. That's the Lord's deal, not mine. But what I am saying is that things are set up in such a way that we're getting awfully close to that tipping point. And at any point, people like to say, oh, our economy has recovered and we're doing so much better and on and on and on. You talk to a lot of the people that really know They say our economy is really not doing so much better. And some will go as far as to say, one more big event like Hurricane Katrina, one more 9-11, one more thing of this magnitude, and all the house of cards will come crumbling down. And so if America comes down, so does the world, more or less, right? Am I being an alarmist? I hope I'm not. And could God delay that? Absolutely. Could he prevent that from happening? Sure he could. And I don't think we need to be so obsessed with exactly when, but I do believe very quickly, just like you heard about this, you know, and just, it happened, boom, it was done. Yet you heard some of the news on this, right? They were trying to sneak into a stadium. If that one guy would have been more successful in sneaking in, we wouldn't be talking about a 100 and some. We'd be talking about thousands and some. My point being, If something happens on a global scale in this country or other countries, very quickly everything could go super, super, super fast. And all of these things about Sunday, all these things that have been suggested, in fact, there's even a senator, I think she was being a little bit sarcastic, but she said, you know, we probably should be debating something on the floor right now that requires people to go to a church of their choice so we can get morality back in America. Tongue in cheek now, maybe, but when the whole world's falling apart, this is serious. Are you with me? Will ISIS be the one to have a part to play? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not, but it certainly could. John 9, 4, Jesus said, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. I hope that the day will never come when Elizabeth and I have that pillow talk before going to bed. You know what pillow talk is, right? And I say, Elizabeth, Why didn't we do this? Why didn't we do that? Why didn't we get involved here? Why didn't we have this conversation there? Because now it's too late. It's too late. Now you might say, well, there's never a time it's too late. Well, I understand, you can still have conversations, but there's a time that the internet might get shut off, the cameras might get shut off, your influence might get shut off. I mean, you get the point, right? Why didn't we, why did we wait? Well, we thought it was gonna be longer. Is that a reason? Work now while it's day. And if the Lord comes in six months, great. If he comes in 50 years, no problem. But let's be busy. Revelation 14, 12 tells us the answer. Here is the patient of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. That's our mandate. That's our call to do. And it's so interesting how the Sabbath is being put into the spotlight, and I wonder if it's for such a time as this. I believe the world is asking. And I believe that the time is now. Joel two twenty three. Be glad then, ye children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God. He hath given you the former rain moderately, and he will cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain and the latter rain. You know, if you think about the former rain, Pentecost, 3,000 in a single day. And yet that's going to be Moderate moderate i believe our best days as a church are just ahead great controversy the advent movement of 1840 and 44 was a glorious manifestation of the power of god and we have just spent 2 months looking at that and relearning and re just spending time thinking about that and the incredible power that accompanied that advent movement and to continue on in some countries there was the greatest religious interest which has been witnessed in any land since the reformation but these are to be what exceeded by the mighty movement under the last warning of the third angel. I believe the time is now. The harvest is great, but the laborers are few. The harvest is great, but the laborers are few. And I don't know about you, but I want to be part of that harvest. There's a tremendous opportunity that stands before us. The world is now asking... You are a Seventh-day Adventist. What do you believe? Lord, I pray that you will help us, that you will put your words in our mouth, that you will help us in our witness, help us as we reach out to our neighbors and our friends and whatever our sphere of influence to not shrink and cower, but to stand tall in the truth that we have in Jesus Christ and your word. Guide us as a church, guide us as families, and may we be about your business For the harvest is there before us. In your name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.